Good morning to all of you. It is a joy to be with the people of God and sing praises to our God, remembering His sacrifice for us on our behalf, to not dwell on our former life, but to remember it and praise God for what He has done in giving us new life. So thank you to Jordan and Alex for leading us in this time. We're going to be continuing in our series on what Christians pursue. And after spending the last few times in uh, Psalm 119 studying the pursuit of the Word of God, um, I was wondering what would be a logical and biblical um, progression from that. How do we apply the pursuit of the Word of God in our lives today? How do we how do we see that in action? In order to set the scene for this pursuit today, um, I have a couple of questions for you. I'd like to see a show of hands. Nothing embarrassing, I promise. Yes. How many of you have heard the phrase, stranger danger? Yeah, a few. How many of you know what it means? Everyone pretty much who put their hands up knows what it means. And just so, just so we're all on the same page, stranger danger is a phrase that is taught to children to remind them that not all adults are as welcoming or friendly as they seem. It is the phrase that makes children aware that there is danger from strangers. Simple Phrase for them to remember. And it's good practice because in our absence, when we are unable to protect our children, they have this phrase to remind them to beware of strangers. Because strangers present the possibility of danger. And so it's not harsh or bigoted or you know, uncharitable to teach children this because there are predators out there who for some reason would choose to harm children. It's a reality. And so we teach children stranger danger. Now, that's, that's, that's what stranger danger means. Now, just imagine for a second if I printed stranger danger on some stickers. You peel them off and you can stick them wherever, and I say, let's go to a Christian bookstore, for example, Kurong, let's say. And I give each one of you 20 stickers. And I say, I want you to place this sticker on CDs and DVDs and books that present Christian stranger danger. How would you go? How many books or CDs or DVDs would you be able to place that sticker on, if at all? Would there be, would 20 be too many stickers or too few? Would you think that the entire exercise is somehow harsh and bigoted and uncharitable? Because after all, Christian brothers and sisters, hey, how can you say that they are stranger danger? 
I set up this hypothetical scenario to introduce us to the pursuit of discernment. Having just studied the pursuit of the Word of God, hopefully now we can understand what it means to discern truth from error. It's a hypothetical scenario, but it points to the reality of rampant deception in Christian evangelical circles nowadays, where there seems to be a real lack of discernment in being able to recognize whether what we are being confronted with is truth or error. There seems to be a willingness to accept everything just because it comes with a Christian label. And so there is, seems to be a reluctance, perhaps, on our part to be critical when reviewing these CDs or books or bands or churches even. It's a church. What could go wrong there? It's a preacher. What, what could go wrong there? There are people who don't know where to place the stranger danger sticker in Christian circles. And you may know them. They may be in your family. They may be in your friend circle. And it's concerning because this is not just an issue of preference or it's not something that's optional. I think that, so therefore I stick the sticker, but you're okay if you don't stick the sticker. That's fine. No, no, no. This is, this is an issue of eternal consequence because the stranger is Satan. This is not just someone who is an innocent person who doesn't know any better. But the real danger is him who can cause us to fall. Are we aware of the danger of this stranger? So, as we look at the pursuit of discernment today, I want to give you ten characteristics of discernment. That if you want to be discerning in your walk as a Christian, then these ten characteristics should be true in your life. That you should, be, you should know that you are practicing these and you should know that you are aware of this. And I have to warn you that many of these are bleedingly obvious. You might say, hey, well, I mean, why are you talking about this? But I hope to impress on you that we live in a world where the obvious is being blurred. Where the lines between truth and error are being blurred so that it is becoming more and more difficult to tell which is which. And this is not about taking sides. This is not about politics. This is not about being harsh or bigoted or uncharitable. It is about guarding our own souls against the stranger. And so I hope that you will appreciate the need to be discerning. Our study is mainly in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, please turn there with me. We will be focusing mainly on verse 27. John 10, 27. But for the sake of context, we will read from verse 24 to verse 30. John 24 John 10, sorry, John 10, 24 to 30. Please follow along with me as I read and recognize fully that what I'm reading is not my opinion. 
It is not my idea of what is right and wrong. These are the words of the true and living God that he wants us to hear and may he speak his truth into our hearts today. John 24, and the word of God says, The Jews then gathered around him, him being Jesus, and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, which means if you are the anointed one, if you are the Messiah, if you are the one who has been promised that he will come, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and this is the, the verse that I want us to look at, verse 21, verse 27, pardon me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. May God bless his word. There are many ways to look at this passage and there are many things to take from it and learn from it. But I do believe that one of the key lessons it is teaching us is the pursuit of discernment. It is teaching us how to carefully understand truth from error. And it is coming to us from the truth himself, which is Jesus Christ. Why do I think that this is a passage of discernment? Well, if you look in the, in the previous chapters of John, there's, there's been a lot of miracles going on. Jesus, in fact, in chapter 9, has just healed a man who has been blind from birth. And everyone's amazed as to, wow, how did this happen? And the, the, the leaders somehow are not very impressed, and they, they, they're a bit sus about the whole thing. And so they call the man, they call his parents, and his parents say, look, hey, he was blind from birth. But how does he see now? Oh, I don't know. Oh, ask him. Because they were afraid of political repercussions. And so they, call, they call the man and, and they say, well, what's, what's going on? He says, yeah, I was blind from birth, but now I see. Now, how is that possible? I don't know how it's possible. You tell me. But there's, a, there's the reluctance. Uh, I mean, they, they, they ask him, who did this to you? And he said, oh, I don't know this man. Do you want to meet him? <laughs> and then and they're sort of upset at that. And we see that this, chap, this, this text then follows on around after that, sometime after that. And they gather around him and say, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly, you know, are you the Messiah or what? And this is, this is not really a, a question of, of, um, of trying to gain some knowledge. It's a politically loaded question because if they can get Jesus to accept that he is the Messiah, then everyone's going to go around him, they're going to crown him king, and the Romans are going to get him on charges of sedition. So there is, there is uh, uh, an environment, an atmosphere of a lack of discernment about who Jesus is. Tell us plainly, are you the one who has been promised to Israel from time gone past? So they're not able to discern somehow who Jesus is. Before we undertake uh, the pursuit of discernment, what is discernment and what are the characteristics of it, I want to first highlight what discernment is not. What discernment does not depend upon. Number one, 
Discernment is not dependent on religiosity. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day. They are unable to have discernment about who he is. Discernment, being able to tell right from wrong, does not come from being religious. You can be as religious as you like and not be discerning. Number two, discernment is not simply a matter of faith or personal belief, and this can be a bit contentious, so let me, let me explain what I'm trying to say. Discernment does not only come from having faith. You can have all the faith that you want, as did the Jewish leaders in their day, and it be misguided. I was just seeing a video of a man in of a Puerto Rican man in Miami who claims that he is Jesus. Today, I mean, in, in our day. This is happening now. And he has followers in 20 countries, apparently. Now, people have faith. They have lots of faith. But no discernment, zero discernment. That stranger danger sticker is nowhere to be seen. So discernment does not simply depend on personal faith and belief. Yes, you need, dis- you need faith to believe, you need faith, but it needs to be in the right Messiah. It's not that you can have discernment without faith, no, you need it, but it needs to be in the right person. Number three, discernment is not based on evidence. You have a lot of people saying nowadays, Muslims or atheists or Hindus or Buddhists, I don't have evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. No, there's a lot of evidence, as was there in the day of that we read, there's a lot of evidence. You just don't have the discernment to see it. So discernment does not require, or does not only dependent on evidence. So the context uh, that, that we're reading gives us to understand that discernment, the discernment that we want to have, is not just based on religious works or a religious mindset. It is not just based on personal faith and belief, it is not just based on evidence. So you're going to ask, what is it based on then? What is, what is the key requirement for discernment? And Jesus' answer may not be one that you expect. Discernment or a lack of discernment is dependent on your identity. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. The reason that you are unable to discern is because you do not belong to my flock. If you belong to my flock, you would see who I am, you would see all the works that I am doing, and you would come to the right conclusion that I am indeed the one who was promised. Why is that important to note? Because we live in a time where millions upon billions of people profess Christ, profess Christianity, and yet have no idea about the identity of Christ. There seems to be a a, a concerning lack of discernment as to who Jesus really is. People think that just because maybe I wear a wristband which says, what would Jesus do, that therefore I understand who Jesus is. I mean, you've seen it. I mean, Christianity is perhaps the largest religion in the world. Does that mean that everyone is Christian? 
I mean, I'm not being here, I'm not standing here to, to disparage anyone or to undermine anyone's faith or to somehow make, you know, less of someone's belief. But I am here to, to point the fact that if your faith is misguided, you are in danger. Eternal danger. If we are those who profess to be true believers, then we better make sure that our belief is in the true Christ. So what does the pursuit of discernment involve? How can we be more discerning? And so we're going to see, verse 27, what Jesus has to say about being discerning. And we're going to look at our text in uh, four blocks. We're going to look at my sheep. We're going to look at they hear my voice. We look at and I know them. And the fourth one, and they know me. And they follow me. So those, that's going to be our sort of agenda for the rest of our time. And we're going to ask two questions for each block. What does this mean and what does this have to do with discernment? What does my sheep mean and what does that have to do with discernment? What does hear my voice mean and what does that have to, discern, to do with discernment and so on? So we look at now the first block, my sheep. Again, um, my sheep, who's that referring to? Obviously it's Jesus, He's talking, they're my sheep, so the context makes it clear that Jesus is speaking. So my refers to Jesus. Uh, what is he, who is Jesus, just in case there was any question, verse 30, as we have read, I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be God. Now if that's not apparent to you, it is quite apparent to the Jews of who, who were listening, because in the next verse, in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus is saying, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which, are these, of which of these works are you stoning me? He's being a bit sarcastic there. And they said, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. The Jews understood that when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that he was claiming equality with God. Now you have to note here, you have to give the Jews credit that they correctly understood the claim that Jesus was making. They understood that he was saying that I am God. They understood what he was saying. They also correctly understood that for a man to claim equality with God is blasphemy. They understood that. But for some reason they were unable to accept or perhaps they refused to accept that Jesus was not just a man. So what does that say about discernment? Well, we can say that a lack of discernment rejects the identity of Christ or to, that a proper discernment accepts the identity claims of Christ. Being a sheep means you understand the identity of your shepherd. You understand that Jesus is God in human flesh. Now, this is one of the obvious things that I was warning you about. You're going to say, you know, I didn't rock up here on Sunday for you to tell me Jesus is God. I know that, right? Let me read, let me read to you something. It's an excerpt from an essay titled, The Humanity and Divinity of Jesus. And the author wrote it as a paper for a course, a theological course, when he was in seminary, and the, and the course was called Christian Theology for Today. And I quote, there's a lot of jargon over here, so you're going to have to put your thinking cap on. 
So the author says, where then can we in the liberal tradition find the divine dimension of Jesus? If you read this paper, he's, he's, he's arguing really that Jesus was fully human, which is true. But then because of Jesus' complete humanity, he's saying that he, oh, I'm not sure if he can be fully God. And so let, let, me, let me read what he says. He says, we may find the divinity of Christ not in his substantial unity with God, but in his filial consciousness, in his state of being as a child, and in his unique dependence upon God. It was his feeling of absolute dependence on God, as Schleiermacher, a liberal theologian, would say, that made him divine. And here's the key. The orthodox attempt, what you and I would believe, the orthodox attempt to explain the divinity of Jesus in terms of an inherent metaphysical substance within him seems to me quite inadequate. I'm not buying this. To say that the Christ whose example of living we are bid to follow is divine in an ontological sense, in a sense of who he is, is actually quite harmful and detrimental, the orthodox view of the divinity of Christ is in my mind quite readily denied. So the author is saying, um, yes, there is an, uh, Jesus is fully human, but you can't just say that he's only human because there was something so divine about him, but uh, what is making him divine is not the fact that he was actually God, but his dependence on God was so intense, that's what made him divine. Does that deserve a stranger danger sticker? He got a B plus for it. The author, FYI, was a young African-American man by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. If you find that shocking, I'm glad. Not because someone is completely ignorant of who Christ is, that can never be a happy thing. Someone without Christ is doomed. But if that shocks you, then I want you to be aware of the problem of Christian stranger danger is far more systemic and widespread than you maybe are aware of or are willing to believe. This is a problem that goes deep into the church. Here we see a man who categorically denies the deity of Christ. He does not accept the identity claims that the shepherd is making. He chooses to interpret them in his own way. He is no different to the Jewish leaders that confronted Jesus Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not, when actually they just did not believe. The man is not a sheep. And yet millions would claim that he is the epitome of Christianity in a broken world doing great social good for racial harmony. And that's good. Racial harmony is a good thing. But when it is foisted upon us in the guise of someone who is not a sheep and we are told to accept him, then please be aware that something strange and dangerous is being peddled. 
And that's why we need this doctrine as a safeguard, as a guardrail on the highway of faith. Because if we do not believe, the, the deity of Christ were lost. Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not just a prophet. He didn't make that claim. I and the Father are one. If you are his sheep, you accept the claims that he made about himself. If you do not accept the claims that he makes about himself, you are not his sheep. He says that. If you, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. It's a, it's a simple contrast. You do not believe, some do not believe, some follow. Your identity as a sheep requires you to, ident- to recognize and accept the identity of your shepherd as God in human form. Number two, discernment means that you accept that your identity is primarily in Christ. What do I mean by that? Your identity has various components. Gender is part of your identity. Some people would say that your sexual orientation is part of your identity. Some people would say that your passport is part of your identity. And all of them are. But as a Christian, as we have just been singing... My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. Your identity is no longer in yourself, your identity is in the blood that bought you. So, this is not just an addition to your existing identity, it is a replacement of your identity. That's why you are a new creation. You are not an upgrade. You are not a version 2.0. You are completely new. John 10, 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying that that's his role. That's his identity. And that's the identity that you need to identify with. I know my own. My own know me. And I lay down my life for them. So those who identify with me recognize that I have died for them. Pretty simple. Your identity is in your shepherd. Now just in case you are unclear as to what it means for Christ to be the shepherd, let me try and unpack that a bit further. To be a sheep, I mean some, sometimes we have this, identi- you know, this, this idea that uh, you know, Jesus is my mentor. Jesus is my coach. Jesus gets me up in the morning. Jesus is my Brecky rap. And, and you will find churches that give you this idea that Jesus is there to improve your life. You can have your best life now with Jesus. But is that true? 
You ask Paul, he did not have his best life now. He was waiting for his best life. Someone who is in prison does not have their best life just now. For Christ to be your shepherd is for him to be your master, not your mentor. I hope we understand the difference. My chains are gone. I've been set free. What are you saying he's my master? Is I'm, if I've been set free, how is he my master? No, he has set you free so that you can serve him. Your identity is, is enslavement to sin and now he has released you from that bondage so you can be free to serve him. Free to be holy as he is. Look at me with, at, at John 12, please. If you're still there in chapter John 10, 10, John 10 verse 12, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. John 10 verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, why? Because he is a hired hand, and he is not concerned about the sheep. Now the contrast, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is not just the contrast between a hired hand and someone who is taking care of the sheep. This is a contrast between someone who is the actual owner and someone who is not. For Jesus to be your shepherd is for him to own you. We don't like the sound of that in a democracy. We want to be free people. But Jesus owns you. The hireling is someone who does not own you, but I am the good shepherd. I own you. That's why you are a part of my flock. I have given my life for you. I have bought you with my blood. Why am I emphasizing this so much? Because now in Christian evangelical circles today, there is a battle going on for our Christian identity. Who are we as Christians? There are many who would say, yes, we are in Christ, but I am also gay. I am also black. I am also transgender. There seems a reluctance to fully embrace the identity that we have in Christ and cling on to our past as if that somehow is definitive of who we are. I'm gay and I love Christ. I'm transgender and I love Christ, but I'm not here to disparage gay and transgender people. They have issues. I'm not saying that we should belittle them. But where is their identity? Behold, if you are a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. You are no longer who you are. You have been bought with a price. There is no room to choose to identify with your former self because God has caused you to be born from darkness into light. What fellowship does darkness have with light? 
Christian identity is also being defined not in Christ, but in my individuality. Yes, I love Jesus. I come just as I am. Right? We sang that just now. Lovely song. Just as I am. Jesus take me just as I am. He does. But he doesn't let you stay as you are. The purpose of coming just as you are is to, re- to recognize, as the song says, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come you know, lost to be rescued, and all, empty to be filled, and, and all of that, but I come not to be the same person, I come to be changed. And, 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 and you may know people, or you may have heard of, of preachers and celebrities saying that it's okay to be just as you are. No. Heaven is not filled with people who are just as they are. It is filled with people who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and have been transformed. Yes, there is people from every nation and every tribe and every culture and every language and everything of that sort. But that is not their primary identity. Their identity is that they are the blood-purchased saints. Of the land. The lines of identity are being blurred. And why is that a problem? The problem is if the lines of identity are blurred, then you no longer know who a sheep is and who isn't. You don't know who to follow. You don't know what it means. You don't have any means of self-assessing. You are left with a standard that is subjective. I'm questioning because I say so. If your new identity is in Christ, then you have no business really identifying with your former self. If we want to be discerning, we need to start by accepting who Jesus says He is and who He says we are. We are the sheep of His pasture. You know, we read Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, it's a comforting psalm. It's it's such a beautiful picture. And sometimes we get taken away with the the romantic imagery of the psalm and and the sentimental sort of, um, you know, if we just think it's sentimental, then we lose the idea that He is our shepherd, He owns us. And now he is placing us in green pastures and making us sit down beside still waters and he restores our soul. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because he owns me. He has bought me. Why would I fear? Moving on to the second block. My sheep hear my voice. Here, what does that mean? Well, it means to be in possession of auditory faculties. That's a fancy way of saying you're not deaf. It's the same word that Jesus uses in his Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, such and such and such, but I tell you, such and such and such. My sheep hear my voice. What does my voice mean in the context? It is referring to his speech, his talking. Matthew 3.17, Jesus' baptism, and behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son. Matthew 27.46, his crucifixion, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. 
voice is not referring to your accent or, or, or his tonal quality or his rasping or whatever. It's talking about his speech. He's talking. And what he's saying is truth. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep understand that I am speaking. My sheep hear me saying stuff. My voice is a reference to what Jesus is teaching, but the, the Jews aren't listening. And sad to say, many people today aren't listening. They prefer a label of Christianity rather than what it actually means. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. I've been saying stuff. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. My works are saying stuff. But you do not believe because you are not of my flock. I've been saying and doing a lot of things that ought to have convinced you by now that I am who I say I am, which is the Son of God in human flesh, but you're not buying it. Note the contrast. I told you, and you do not believe. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Two groups, two sets of people are being addressed by the same person. One has a positive response, one doesn't. Discernment is about believing what Jesus taught. Simple, right? I mean, there's nothing rocket science over here. But for some reason, evangelicals today believe that discernment is not about believing what Jesus taught. It is what they think he taught. Oh, I think this is what it is saying to me. Oh, great, fine, wow, cool. I can find anything in the text. I am free to interpret the text as I please. My shepherd may be saying one thing, but that's not what I'm listening and that's okay. Because he takes me just as I am. Evangelicals today seem to be more alive to the voice of culture than they are to the voice of Christ. Look at verse 2 in chapter 10 for a moment, please. It's really interesting. Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Sheep are aware of stranger danger. I mean, we have this idea, you know, that sheep are stupid and sheep don't know what they're doing and they fall by and, you know, and, and that's true in, in, a, in a physical sense. Yes, sheep are stupid creatures, they're dumb. But in a spiritual sense, they are not. We have to understand that. Spiritual sheep are not stupid. Spiritual sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Spiritual sheep are able to critically assess whether a stranger is calling them or whether their shepherd is calling them. Spiritual sheep are able to, to figure it out. We just think of, we, we, we think of ourselves as sheep because we look at those woolly, furry things and we think, that's what I am. No, that's not what you are. 
That's just a picture to give you to understand who your shepherd is and, and, and how the equation works between who he is and who you are. He owns you. Jesus is clearly stating that those who belong to Christ recognize who Christ is not. I know Jeff, but I know who Jeff is not. Because if someone, if someone of you came and told me, hey, you know, I heard about Jeff, you know, oh, I, oh, you know, that was really something that he did the other day. You know what I'm going to say? That doesn't sound like Jeff. It has nothing to do with his voice, but it has something to do with his character. You bring me a report that, you know, there's something unsavory about Jeff. I'm saying, we all say that, right? That doesn't sound like them. And so Jesus is saying the sheep know, oh, this doesn't sound like our shepherd. A stranger, they simply will not follow. They just won't do it. Just won't do it. Discernment then is not merely knowing who Jesus is. It is also about recognizing and rejecting false Christs. It's also recognizing who the false Christs are but rejecting them when they come in his name. And Jeff took us through this last week, 2 Timothy 3. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, etc., 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 holding to a form of godliness. They sound like a shepherd. They look like a shepherd. They say what a shepherd would say holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid. Stranger danger. Avoid such men as these. The word avoid there is not simply say, ah, nah, it's okay, (laughs) thank you very much. No, no, it's turn around. Turn around, run. Don't entertain, don't flirt, don't say, oh, I wonder what that's all about. No, 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 run. You don't teach your kids when someone, a stranger, offers them lollies. You don't say, oh, is that Cadbury or is that Allen's? Do not entertain. Run. Another obvious thing to point out, and again, it's so obvious, but I think it needs to be said. You can only hear the shepherd when you're near the shepherd. You can't hear the shepherd if you're far from the shepherd. I mean, right? And I say this because I've been, in, I've been there. Whether it's compromising with sin or compromising with doctrine, there's so many people, Christians, who, 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 who would think that it's okay to experiment with their faith a bit. Let me see how far I can go to the edge without falling off. Let me see how far I can disobey before I fall from grace. Let me see how far I can push the truth to suit my own novel understanding and my own interpretations before I start to be called a heretic. What does Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What is a sheep to understand? A sheep is to understand that wandering off 
does not take you closer to the truth and the life. It takes you further away from it. You have no business, therefore, wandering off from truth and life. It doesn't make sense. As a, as a, if, if I'm a sheep, I'm going to stick close to my shepherd. If I was dead and I have been brought to life, why would I wander away from that life? Do you see how silly it seems? But yet, and I'm not, and I'm not claiming immunity from this condition. It, it, it affects me. Where I know what is right, I know what the truth is, I know who my Savior is, I know who my Shepherd is, but somehow I'm like, yeah, mm, I just want to do this. True sheep stay within earshot of the shepherd's voice. Let me, just, let me say this. Failure to love the truth is failure to love the shepherd. If, if, if I am somehow casual about truth, then I'm casual about the shepherd because he said he is the truth. And so if, if I want to be a true sheep, then I got to know the truth. I got to exercise myself. I got to be disciplined in order to understand what the truth is so that I can recognize my, my shepherd, so that I can recognize who is not my shepherd. And when my shepherd calls, I listen to his voice. And when the stranger calls, I run away. True sheep stay within earshot. Of the shepherd's voice. Because that's where safety is. And here's, here's, a, here's another thing. Because you stay next to the shepherd. You stay with the rest of the flock. I mean the application. I, mean, I don't know if I'm drawing a long bow here. You tell me. All the more reason not to neglect church. I mean, I, I, I am amazed at how casually Christians can regard church attendance. I'm not a member there, so, you know, I'm a lone... There's no lone sheep. The, identify, the identity of a sheep, yes, is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that does not mean that personal faith does not have a need for fellowship. Personal faith needs fellowship. Personal faith cannot survive without fellowship. Personal faith will die without fellowship. You are saved to be part of the flock. Look at verse 16, chapter 10. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock. It's one flock, not one sheep. You are designed to be part of the flock. I'm not trying to spout some socialist, communistic idea over here. I'm just trying to tell you that your identity is part of a collective. I belong to you. We are part of the body. Jordan was doing the roster the other day and he said, uh, you know, from the pancreas. That's a bit of fun, but you get the idea. We cannot function in isolation. We are not meant to be in isolation. Faith requires fellowship. 
And you have to wonder that whether faith without fellowship is faith at all. Third block, and I know them. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. What does Jesus mean by I know them? Just have some visual identification. I, I check their passports. I see, you know, what does he mean by I know them? We get a sense of this in verses 12 to 15. He's talking about the hired hand, not the shepherd. He's not concerned about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Now, here's, check out verse 15. This gives you a, a, an idea of the, the, the type of knowing. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That is the, the quality of knowing that the shepherd has for the sheep. Jesus knows you like the Father knows him. I mean, think about that. To be a sheep is to be known in the same manner, with the same love, with the same intensity, with the same intimacy that the Father knows the Son. I know my own and my own know me. The love that Jesus has for you is the love that his Father has for him. You know, we, we, we sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The depth, the profundity of that love and care and, and, and knowing that it cannot just be brushed aside. If you have been loved by divine, eternal love, you, you will never reject. You, I, I, I don't see how you could. Has anyone loved you with that intensity? Have you ever received love of this nature? Where else can you find this love? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. We sing songs like this not because it makes us feel good, but because it's true. A sheep knows that they are known. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places with Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Discernment is knowing true love. A sheep that does not know true love is not a sheep. And that's why you cannot love Christ and tolerate error at the same time. You cannot bear to see your Savior misrepresented. Zeal for your house has consumed me. That's what the psalmist says. 
when you are the recipient of such grace and mercy and such amazing love, you just can't let go of it. Let me put this in a very practical sense. To know true love is to know the difference between motivational speaking and gospel preaching. Let me say that once again. To know true love is to know the difference between motivational speaking and gospel preaching. Motivational speaking is about me. Gospel preaching is about Christ. If I love Christ, I will not bear motivational speaking. I can get that anywhere. I don't need to come to church to listen to that. I don't need to build myself up. I need to build Christ up. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. I know my sheep, but I never knew you. Who are you? Yeah, you did so many things in my name, but you're not my sheep. What a tragedy. How heartbreaking. Spurgeon, I love what Spurgeon says about discernment. He's, he says, discernment is not knowing what, the difference between right and wrong. The difference is knowing between what is right and almost right. You can be so close and yet so far. Lastly, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Nothing profound to say here. Nothing out of the ordinary. Discernment is about obedience. It's about a commitment to holiness. It follows Christ alone. My sheep follow me. A stranger, they, they will not follow. They, they will follow me. They will not come. They will not listen to anyone who comes in my name who speaks differently to what I say. So there you have it. Ten things you need to be more discerning. Accept the identity claims of Christ. Accept your identity in Christ. Believe the teaching of the true Christ. Recognize and reject false Christs. Stay close to the true Christ. Stay with the flock. Know what true love is. Practice obedience. Commit yourself to holiness. And follow Christ alone. If you're ever wondering, oh, I don't know what this says, or I don't know what this means, or I don't know this person told me this, I, I don't know what they're saying, come back to this list. Measure it up against this list. I'm not saying that these are the only lists, but I'm, I'm sure there's more. But this is just to get you started. And lastly, I want to close. Why is it vital that we engage in this pursuit of discernment? Read the text again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because I and the Father are one. Security. That's why we need to be discerning.
our eternal security. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, we just want to thank you for this eternal love with which you have loved us and known us, by virtue of which you have made us your sheep. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have, in your grace and mercy, chosen us to be part of your flock, to grant us eternal life, and no one can snatch us out of your hand. But Lord, we recognize that there is a duty for us we recognize that we must be discerning sheep who do not follow the voice of strangers. Father God, we just pray that you would impress upon us our need to know you more. Our need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Our need to recognize who he is, O oh Lord, that we would not be tossed about by every wave and wind of doctrine. But Lord, who that we would be those who are mature, who by solid food have been trained in being able to recognize good from evil. And Father, we do not want to do this so that we can be somehow self-righteous and, and show ourselves to be better than our neighbor, but Lord, we just pray that this would humble us to know that you have chosen us for no reason in us, but for your good pleasure. And so we just pray that you would help us to live as those who are your sheep. Lord, literally doing our best to, to warn others of stranger danger, to warn those in our family and amongst our friends who are, who are deceived. Help us to do this with grace and sensitivity and love and compassion to show them the love that you have shown us. And in doing so, help us to be true children of Christ. It is in his name we ask. Amen.